The first computer my family ever owned is this Apple Mac Classic from 1991. It's an updated riff on the original Macintosh from 1984, a cute little all-in-one beige box with a 9-inch black and white screen. I spent a lot of time playing with this computer growing up. I did my third grade homework on it, I drew for hours in Mac Paint, and I played glorious games like Brickles and Load Runner and Dark Castle. I can still hear the drone of the fan, the feel of the keys, and the click, click, click of the hard drive. I asked my parents about the classic recently, and to my delight, they'd kept it for posterity. We pulled it out of their attic, and miraculously, after 32 years, it still works. Sort of. It doesn't always boot, and when it does, it makes a scary pinging sound that makes me fear for the hard drive. I wanted to revisit my homework and games and everything else, but I was scared I'd break something and lose it all for good. So I decided to see what it would take to restore an old computer like this one, to find out what fails in these machines and how to stop it from happening, so that this little time capsule could survive another 32 years. That seemed simple enough, but I should have recognized a rabbit hole when I saw one. I went deep into the world of vintage computer collectors. I learned to solder. And I ended up grappling with some big, heady questions about the right or wrong ways to preserve the past. Mac Classic battery replacement. The first thing I learned about vintage computer repair is machines of this era are time bombs. Many have a little internal battery that keeps track of the date and time, and as the years roll by, those batteries love to leak all over the machine's innards. Everyone I talked to told me to fish that little battery out, like yesterday. So, armed with a bunch of YouTube tutorials, I plopped the Mac down on a workbench in my garage. Okay, tools. This is amateur hour. Luckily, the Classic is constructed simply enough that I could work with what I had on hand. The case is held together with just four standard torque screws. Lefty Lucy. There it goes, okay. Once the screws were out, the whole case split in half vertically, though it took some encouraging. Ouch. All right, I am sliding this whole back plastic plate away from the computer and, ha! Inside, the components are all jammed densely together, which makes disassembly a little touchy. You can get a nasty electrical shock off the monitor tube, even when the computer is unplugged. Get my flashlight. With some effort, I managed to unplug all the little cables connecting to the logic board. Oh, it's sticky. And slide it free. The logic board is the brains of the computer. It's an unremarkable green rectangle full of circuitry. And there, sitting in one corner, was the battery. It was easy to spot and easier still to pop out of its little cradle. And amazingly, it didn't look leaky at all. It's in good shape. Disaster averted. But my work wasn't done. I also learned about the handful of capacitors soldered to the logic board. They're little components that hold and release energy to different parts of the computer. And they can leak and ruin things too. This is where I get out of my depth. 
I don't know what a capacitor looks like, much less how to replace one. Time to call in the experts. Been driving with this Mac Classic sitting on a towel on the floor of the driver's side. The expert I roped into this is Jason Perkins. He's an information security engineer who lives in a little town about an hour north of Seattle. A few weeks ago, I found myself pulling up to his house with my Mac Classic riding shotgun. Old Ford pickup truck parked next to a Tesla. There is something fitting about that for this story. Hey, how's it going? Morning. How are you? Good. Good to see you. Good to see you. I hope you don't mind. I am recording my journey, I'm trying to be a good podcaster. It is an audio podcast. I met Jason while working on another story about an Apple computer from the 80s called the Lisa. He has an extensive collection of vintage tech, and when I reached out to him about my Mac, he immediately offered to help. So this is the oh, shop okay. man, converting it into electronic shop. So it's been Jason moved recently, so his home workshop is a bit of a mess. Picture a garagey space filled to the brim with boxes, monitors, wires, and tools. But there's a method to the madness. In one corner, huge vintage printers sit neatly on metal shelves. For now, that's printer land. You have to be careful when you put multiple laser writers in one spot because the sheer weight can cause a black hole. <laughs> I'll keep my distance. Yeah. Then there are the computers an assortment of diverse systems from the 1980s. There are a few more recognizable machines, an Apple Lisa, a Macintosh SE that looks a lot like my classic, but also computers I'd never heard of, an NCR PC4. This was the first computer that I, that I ever personally had. Somebody gave it to me. A funny little thing called a Nabu. The keyboard has like a 20-foot cable or something on it, so you'd hook this up to your TV in the living room and you know, sit back on the couch a Xerox Daybreak. It actually has an extra card in there with a IBM 80186 processor on it. So you can have a PC emulation in a window with a hardware processor. So you can run PC software and Xerox software. Gotcha. And Just a kaleidoscope of earth tone plastic boxes. You've got it up and running. It, this is up and running. Then there's the telecom collection a shelf of gleaming, gloriously analog phones and answering machines from the 60s. In the 60s, it was actually a crime to connect any equipment not provided by the phone company to your telephone line. Oh. So this is an answering machine which can pick up the phone, answer it, play an announcement, record a message, and hang the phone up with no connection to the phone line. Jason is an irrepressible fountain of tech knowledge. For basically every device we looked at, he gave me the full backstory on the product and company, the device's components, construction, hardware and software quirks. He constantly interrupts himself and digs up new pieces of tech to make a point. And I remember, actually, I happen to have one. So there's no hard drive in this. And so Plus Development developed this thing called the hard card, where it's an expansion card with a... It's worth noting that all of this machinery is functional. The printers print, the answering machines pick up, and the computers word process. It took a lot of effort to fix this stuff up. But for Jason, working devices are the whole point. In 03, the Smithsonian Institution was doing an exhibit on history of technology, history of computing. I was so excited to go see it. 
And probably one of the most disappointing things I've ever experienced in my life, actually, because we got there and it's like, oh, great, there's an original Macintosh turned off behind a piece of plexiglass. And oh, look, there's a Xerox Alto that isn't turned on <laughs> and the whole thing's behind plexiglass. It's like, you can only admire so many beige rectangles before you're like, they're just, it's kind of the same thing over and over again. That's not what really makes it special. It's, um, if you go to an art museum, you don't sit and observe the frame. You look at the art. Like you can, you can look at the art and experience the art. If you have a record album, you don't just pick up the record album and look at it. You listen to it. And with the technology, it's the interaction that is, to me, the big, the big part of it. That idea struck a chord with me. I'm here to restore my Mac so that I can do stuff with it again and remember all the fun stuff I did 30 years ago. I'm not a collector, I'm just nostalgic. After the tour, we got down to business. I'm generally pretty good at getting these apart by hand. You just kind of tap on it a little bit. Jason dug the logic board out of my Mac and took a closer look. And it turns out I'd missed some things. So this, the capacitors on this have actually started to leak. Oh, yeah? um, okay. Very slightly. Oh, so no. if you look at this, all these little uh, silver cans are the surface mount electrolytic capacitors. Okay. Dotted across the surface of the board are these eight little cylindrical objects, smaller than an eraser head. Do you notice on this chip, this VLSI chip, how there's this line going diagonally across? Yeah, it's like part of the chip is a little darker colored than the... The gunk from this has wafted along and is halfway across this chip. Oh, and no kidding. You can, so that's... you can see it in the dust. Oh, I never would have noticed. You also notice, see how this chip, all the little solders are nice and kind of bright? Yes. And this one, they look kind of fuzzy and dark gray. Yep. The solders on this have been corroded by the leaking capacitor stuff. Luckily, the damage to the board was minimal. It was just really dirty. Jason walked me through the process of cleaning up the mess and installing new capacitors. Step one, remove the old ones. So we're gonna take a, a sharp pair of cutters. Okay. And we're just gonna cut this thing off. And the danger here is it does go flying. So okay. watch your eyes slightly, but we'll just, you know. I'm covering my eyes and, oop. Okay, we've just snipped. Snipped it off. Step two, clean the logic board. I figured we'd use some special solvent, but we just went to the kitchen and ran the whole board under hot water. It turns out that water doesn't hurt circuit boards at all, as long as they're not plugged in while they're wet. Some regular dish soap, and I've got a toothbrush. And we're gonna scrubby, scrubby, scrubby. Step three, blow dry the board to get all the moisture out. So now I've just got a regular, just a little air compressor. I'm gonna blow this off. So this will be probably kind of loud. To be extra sure the board was dry, we just left it in the sun and went to lunch. After that, we were finally ready to solder on the new capacitors. I'm going to solder this guy right here, this thing. Oh, okay. So you see we've got the two leads sticking out. Yep. I'm going to clean the tip of my iron first and the scrubby thing. That's nice and shiny. Now when I put the solder on here, we'll see. Watch what happens. Do you see how it's flowing all across the pad? Mm-hmm. It's not flowed onto the wire yet. There's not enough solder. So as I continue to add, now, do you see how it's like flowed up the wire a little bit? Yeah, and it makes it's that, being pulled up, yeah. That acid cleans the surface and it makes the solder stick. 
It's super fiddly work. Holding the new capacitor gently with some forceps, I placed it as precisely as possible on the little pad where the old one was. Notice, too, how each can, there's like a black side, yes, a little black stripe. That's the negative side. Okay. Notice, helpfully, on the circuit board, there's a plus yes. on each one of these. The orientation is very important. I see. Um, if you install them backwards, they explode. Gotcha. Then I went in with the soldering iron and melted fresh solder around the tiny little capacitor. Okay, so I'm going to nudge this capacitor. You're pretty close. Into as close a place as possible. Boop. That looks good. You smell that fish, fishy smell? I was going to ask about that. That is the capacitor oil. Okay. It smells like fishes. Okay. I didn't trust myself. I was like, there's no way I smell seafood right you now. You absolutely do. That, that is the smell of leaked capacitors. Leaked capacitors smell like fish. Yes. If I take nothing else away from this entire project, I will have learned that. It was easy enough once I got the hang of it, and a few minutes later, we were done. Eight new capacitors on a sparkly clean circuit board. We slid the board back into the computer and put everything back together. The next step is the smoke test. You plug it in and see if it smokes. <laughs> you think I'm joking. Some of the capacitors we replaced help power the speaker, so we hope we might get one of those iconic Mac startup chimes when we flip the switch. And, moment of truth. A complete computer? No bong. No bong. Womp womp. But no smoke. Yeah, I'll take it. Mm -hmm. Mission largely accomplished. You'll notice this time it's going to stay on this screen a little bit longer because we have more memory. So this pattern is what it does while it's testing the memory. After all that work, I had a feeling of satisfaction that only newbies get. I did a thing, it didn't break. I felt like we did what I came to do, so this computer is immortal now, right? You can see where this is going. So without messing with it anymore, now that we've fixed the, the, the things that we know are problems, if you had to guess how much longer this classic would last for after what is now, what, 32 or so years, what would you say? The next thing to fail will be the hard drive. Uh-huh. I can show you why, and then we can describe it. I just happen to have another Quantum Pro drive mm. that I was monkeying with. So, this is going to get a little bit into hard drive theory. Here, Jason gets very Jason again. In a nutshell, some rubber inside the drive will eventually turn to goo. Also, the drive will slowly demagnetize, degrading the data. The point is, this hard drive could die at any moment. And when it does, it could take all my digital memories with it. So, if my goal is preservation, I've got more work to do. Probably the best long-term method would be, to, they, they make hard drive replacements now that use an SD card. Well, you install the SD card on this, this special converter that to the computer looks like a SCSI hard drive. Okay. And so it's like within the SD card, there's this enclave that is pretending to be, you know, a SCSI hard drive. A hard drive from 1991. Yeah. yeah. And the computer is essentially none the wiser. That sounded intimidating technically, but there was something else tripping me up. If the whole point of this exercise is to recreate the experience of using this computer in 1991, what happens to that experience when you start making larger changes? Part of what I remember about this computer is hearing the hard drive spin up and whir. If I replace it with a little SD card, 
I'll have preserved most of that experience, but will I have preserved the computer? Jason, unsurprisingly, has spent a lot of time with these questions. When does preservation become enhancement? What counts as authentic or original? Well, I, I like having as much original hardware as I can. Even if it's like, you know, maybe slightly newer, but still like an upgrade compared to what it was when it was new. I like doing that. Some people are like really into that. Like, oh, I'll get all these new boards and like build the whole thing from scratch. And it's, that's really neat, you know, but it's not, I guess that's not what my personal thing is. Yeah, what's different about that to you? You know, one of my friends actually just built a new Lisa, like new circuit boards, because people have come up with the schematics and has made himself a, a, a Lisa from Ether. Yeah, yeah. And it's really cool. Me personally, that's not the kind of project that I would set out on. Do you think for you it's the sort of like top down taking something that exists and maintaining it and tweaking it versus the bottom up? I think it is, yeah, that I enjoy more of the top down of this worked at one point I should be able to make it work just like it did again. Let's say you take a car from the 60s and now you've like, you replace all the suspension and the running gear and the engine and the transmission with all brand new stuff. It's like, okay, it's really nice. And some of this stuff is just so expertly done. But do you, is it really still the, is it the original car at that point? Like if you've replaced everything that makes it function with something new. There's that, what you're describing with, it's the, um, ship of Theseus. it's the ship of Theseus, right. right. The ship of Theseus is a paradox that philosophers have been arguing about for 2000 years. Basically, there's this famous ship once sailed by the Greek adventurer Theseus. His fans pledge to preserve the ship forever by replacing any plank that rots out, which is great, but it begs the question, when all the planks eventually get replaced, is it the same ship anymore? What exactly is being preserved? What makes the ship the ship? Being a paradox, there's no clear answer. And for my Mac Classic, the thought experiment only gets weirder. Adding an SD card would be like fitting the ship of Theseus with an outboard motor. Adding modern components also starts to blur the line between restoration and modding. And that's where things really get wild. Welcome to the Mac Classic Remodel Build, in which you'll witness the process it took to convert an old Mac into a modernized PC. This video has... Click around YouTube or Reddit, and you'll find modders swapping vintage and modern parts with abandon. An obscenely upgraded Macintosh SE30 in a clear case. One listener reached out to show us their heavily modded first-generation Macintosh. It's got an iPad for a screen and runs a vintage OS alongside a dock and FaceTime. So I built a custom system that brings the power of Apple Silicon to this iconic design in a magical way. It is a long way from a Mac Classic with an SD card in it. Jason appreciates the more inventive creations, as long as modders don't destroy working vintage hardware along the way. I definitely don't have a problem with it. I think it's just a preference of I've managed to accumulate enough crap over the years that yeah or it's the challenge of finding the original one or getting the original one going again it's the fun of the search that said he sees debates play out on forums all the time oh you know it's kind of the typical geez am I going to date myself if I use the term flame war <laughs> but um yeah 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 well people in technology tend to have strongly held opinions 
Ultimately, Jason's just glad that these computers are still out there for people to play with and fix up and argue over. It shows in the care he's put into his own collection and in the hours he was happy to spend with me. It takes a lot to preserve the experience of vintage computing. And even then, this stuff is not going to last forever. But clearly, Jason thinks it's worth the effort anyway. All these things that we create reflect us as a society, as people, and it's valuable. People put a lot of time and effort into creating these things. You know, it, to conjure this thing from nothing that does something now, like that's, you, you, had, you had to picture that before it existed. That's, that's pretty cool. And being able to continue to display or interact with that creation gives it value. And if instead it is locked away and forgotten about, we lose that value. You know, it, just like if you couldn't read books that were 20 years old. I think it's a problem that historians in the future are going to be really wringing their hands about. After chatting with Jason, a small irony occurred to me. Those historians may have a much harder time preserving newer computers. My old Mac Classic was a breeze to repair, which enables a whole ecosystem of amateurs like me to learn and tinker and keep these systems alive. Whereas my 2019 MacBook Pro is rocking a 1 out of 10 on iFixit's repairability meter. It is a lot more complex and miniaturized and openly hostile to tinkering. I'd need to deal with glue and rivets and a lot more solder to pull off any significant repair. Also, I'd need something called a spudger, and I do not care to learn what that is. The point is, whatever memories I have that are tied to newer computers, those will probably die with the hardware. Back at home, I fired up the Mac Classic. It booted great. I used an external speaker for the sound, and I finally got to just sit down and explore. There is a document that is just called The Cat, and that is it's just a drawing of a cat with a title that says The Cat. I'm going to click on Octopus Picture. I was so patient as a 10-year-old. This computer is so slow. I found tons of drawings. It reminded me how much I used to love drawing. Lots of homework, too. There's this really sweet interview with my grandpa that I did when I was 10. And the games. Load Runner. Oh my gosh, Load Runner is the best. God, somehow I remembered the controls without having to think twice about it. Alright, I just need to beat this level. And then I will finish this podcast segment. After spending all this time with the computer, I agree with Jason. What makes this thing valuable is not the beige box or the software or documents inside of it. It's everything working in concert, like it did 30 years ago. That's what makes it a time machine. So I'm not going to mess with it too much more. I'm going to follow Jason's advice and swap the hard drive out for an SD card. That'll keep things running for a little while. But that's it. I've replaced enough planks on this ship for a few more voyages. After that, the sea can reclaim it. They're fun. 
and shut down.